Happy Sabbath, church. Sabbath. Oh, come on. We can do better than that. We've not had some sun in a while, but let's do a little better than that. Happy Sabbath, church. Thank you. That you are faced with circumstances you can't get through But right now it seems that there's no way out You're going under God's proven time and time again He'll take care of you, and he'll do it again for you. He'll do it again. Just take a look where you are now and where you've been. Hasn't he always come i 
But I know that my God will do it Oh, oh, he'll do it scripture reading today is found in Luke 5, 4, and 5. It says, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. May God bless the reading of his word. Anyway, um, so you're not going to be able to hear me without this. Is it on? Can you hear me? It's a blessing to be with you. I want to extend a warm welcome to everyone, all of our, our members, our visitors. Uh, I think this is Miss Aquarius Jones. Yes? No? You're not? Okay, you scared me. Um, she is, uh, she has been in, we've been in correspondence. She's here as a traveling nurse. Uh, she is, uh, her husband is a pastor in the Georgia Cumberland Conference, where I just came from. And uh, he's pastoring in Dalton, Georgia. And uh, I had the privilege of actually interning at uh, their church. It's a wonderful church, beautiful church, uh, great church family. And uh, so we're delighted that you're here, and we want to be uh, uh, help to you in any way that we can while we're here. So please extend a nice warm embrace to her. She's coming from warm weather, and uh, it's cold here, but we have warm hearts. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, we're delighted that you're here, and I want to extend a warm welcome to any of our other visitors that I may have missed. Let's go ahead and pray, and we will get into our sermon this morning. Kind Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for the Sabbath. Thank you so much for another day. Um, thank you for this opportunity to be here to worship. And dear God, um, I'm praying that the words that are spoken this morning would come directly from your throne and that your name would be glorified. And I'm praying, Lord, that the words would fall on good soil that it would spring up and bear fruit in our lives, that it would inspire us in some way, that you would draw close to us, that, Lord, we would be able to reflect your image more fully. We love you, we thank you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it was... I'm feeling a little loud. It was, the, uh, it was in August of 2015. Uh, early to mid-August. Am I loud? Do I feel, I feel really loud. Um, thank you. Um, so it was, a, it was in early to mid-August of 2015, I was sitting in church, and 
uh, I wasn't very happy to be there. Has anybody ever been there where you're sitting in church and you're just kind of going through the motions maybe, but you're not actually in the spirit, I'll say. And so I was, it was, the bad part about this is, is we were having a huge celebration at our church. It was 2015, this is my home church in Midland, Michigan, and they had started, their church had started in 1915, so we were having a centennial celebration, okay? So it was a big celebration. I was the personal ministries leader of the church, okay? And that next week was one of our largest outreaches for our church as far as need of manpower, okay? It was our county fair booth. And I had three-hour time slots for the entire week that I needed people to sign up for. Now, this is a small church, 50 to 75 regular attending members. Well, in 50, among 50 to 75 regular attending members, you only have a handful that you can actually count on to do things for you in that circumstance. All those handful had been recruited to put on this huge centennial celebration. We had conference workers there. The keynote speaker was Elder Don Livesay, who is, he was the uh, Lake Union president at the time. And so I have been two weeks, three weeks prior trying to recruit people to help me, but all my help was focused on the centennial celebration. So I'm sitting there in the pew agitated because I'm like, this committee, you know, our committee, I'm like, guys, you had 52 Sabbaths to choose from. I don't. I'm stuck with this time frame of the county fair. And so I was irritable as I'm sitting there. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm getting through because it, it was a beautiful service. I mean, we had conference workers were speaking, um, and Elder Don Livesay, he's a wonderful preacher, and he was, uh, he was giving the message. And as he came to, the mess, came to the end of his message, he said, I'm going to make three very distinct calls. And when he said that, I could feel the Holy Spirit pressing down on me. And I immediately started fighting back. I was like, no, 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 no. Wrong day. I'm not going forward for any calls. I went forward for a call to ministry before. You haven't opened any doors for me. I'm sitting right here, you know. And so I'm telling God this. So he gives the first call, and it's something very generic, general, like, you know, you want to you receive Jesus as your personal Savior. You want to make a decision to be baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I'm like, see, that's not me. I'm not going up. And uh, the next call, he said... He said, you feel convicted that God is calling you into some full-time capacity, some full-time position in this, to work for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And when he said that, the, the conviction, the weight that was on me became so overwhelming that I felt as though I was a puddle on the floor. And it was then that I realized, like, boy, this being that I'm dealing with is way more powerful than me. And so I should probably just surrender to whatever God is asking me to do right now. And so I went up to probably, I went up. And praise God that weight lifted off my shoulders because it was very overwhelming to me. And so as I, I went up, 
and I'm praying like, Lord, what do you want me to do? It wasn't that I didn't know what God wanted me to do. It wasn't that I didn't, hadn't been impressed or felt a call to ministry before. The problem was that I did know what he wanted me to do, but I didn't want to do that. You see, God was calling me. I'm 28 years old at this point in my life. You know, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a young person. I'm not what I would say. When I first came into the church, I was 23. I wasn't that age. I wasn't married when I first came into the church. Now my responsibilities were different. God was calling me into full-time literature evangelism as a full-time coal porter. And I wasn't a stranger to literature evangelism. When I first came into the church at the age of 23, I did a summer of MAGA books. And I, and I, as a personal ministries leader in my church, I promoted glow tracks all the time because my brother-in-law, after I got married, my brother-in-law, he was the glow director for the Michigan Conference. And so I heavily promoted literature work. But essentially what I was telling God or what I was, you know, I was married, we needed insurance, um, I needed my normal stable job, steady paycheck, I have a child now. Essentially, what I was telling God is, Lord, I don't actually think that you can provide for me at this stage of my life. If I was 18, 19, 20, couch surfing, whatever, sure, I can get by. But I didn't trust and I didn't see how I could make a living as a full-time coal porter in Mich- at the time um, to support my family. And so I fought with God for a couple of years because the call didn't make sense to me. I couldn't see how it could actually work and we could actually survive. So I fought with that. And I'll come back to my story. But first, I want to look at a couple of situations in the Bible where God asked people to do things that made no sense from a human perspective. It totally contradicted their human logic. Let's turn to our first story. It's found in Genesis chapter 26. It's a story about Isaac. Genesis 26. Genesis 26, there's some little background to it. There's a famine going on in the land. And Isaac is taking, he and his wife are traveling. And we'll flesh out this story as we go through it. Genesis 26. And I will begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I will tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you, for to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And because Abraham kept my, sorry, Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, And my laws. Okay, so God is repeating the same promise that he gave to Abraham. You're going to have, you know, descendants as the stars. He's promising the land because the lineage of the Messiah traveled, came through Isaac. Now, there's a famine. What does it mean when there's a famine in the land? 
No food. There's no food because there's no rain, right? They can't grow any crops. So if they can't grow any crops, they can't feed their animals. And if they can't feed their animals, they can't feed themselves or their animals. There's, there's nothing going on, right? And so God appears to Isaac and he says, do not go down to Egypt. Why is everyone going to Egypt? When there was a famine in the land during the time of Abraham, where did he go? He went to Egypt. When there was a famine in the land during the time of Jacob, Joseph led the way, where did they go? They went to Egypt because Egypt had the Nile River running through it. They could weather the storm. Whenever there was a famine in the land, everybody went to Egypt to survive the storm, so to speak. They would stay there for a number of years, and whenever the rains came back, whenever there was, there was, they had the ability to grow crops, they went back to wherever they came from, right? Except for during the, in the case of, unfortunately, in the case of Joseph, and, and when the Israel and all the, the, the you know, um, when Jacob went there with all of his sons, they ended up staying for 400 years. They weren't anticipating that. Now, so they always went to Egypt to survive the storm. But God is telling Isaac to do something unique. He says, don't go to Egypt. I assume Isaac had planned to go to Egypt because God appeared to him and said, don't go there. I don't know why he would come and say, don't go there if he wasn't planning on going. Right? That only makes sense. So God comes and tells him, don't go. Stay in the land that I tell you to stay in. Even though in his human mind, it makes the most sense, which is what he was doing, go to a place where I can survive. Go somewhere that makes the most sense for us to weather this storm, right? God says, don't do that. I want you to stay somewhere else. Let's keep reading. Let's go down to verse 12. The Bible says, Then Isaac sowed in that land, in a land of famine, in a land where there's no rain, in the land where the the plants and the animals, the people are dying. Isaac sowed in that land. And the Bible says he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. A hundredfold. A hundred times the amount of grain he put into the ground, he got back. Isaac was obedient to the call, even though in his human mind it made no sense. Um, A hundred times. Let's try to put this into a perspective for us today. I mean, we have several people who are uh, acquainted with farming, but can you imagine taking $10,000, putting it into a stock, buying a stock, And in three or four months growing season time, that money has turned into $1 million. That's what he experienced. A hundredfold, a hundred times whatever he put in, he got a hundred times the amount back in that land, the Bible says, in the land of famine. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Three times in the same sentence, the Bible's emphasizing he, this 
this repetition is giving us emphasis. It's trying to illustrate this man became filthy rich as a result of being obedient to the call of God, even though in his human mind it made no sense. Beloved, it is better to be in a land of famine with God than to be in a land of plenty without Him. You see, with God there are no famines. We may have famines on this earth, but we serve a God who can speak things into existence from nothing. God took care of him. God God performed an amazing miracle through him. And through this situation, he's demonstrating his power that no matter what our circumstances are, God has the ability to take care of us. Even when we can't see what the end end result may be. Isaac was just obedient to the call. It went against his human logic. He was going to Egypt, just like everybody else. We may have famines on this earth, but there are no famines with God. Just like Isaac, our goal and our desire, just needs, we just need to have the mindset of, Lord, I just want to be in the center of your will, whatever that is, wherever that is. Because I know that as long as I am there, I can get through anything, no matter what comes my way. Isaac becomes, Isaac was obedient to the will of God, even though in his human mind it made no sense to him. It was a better idea to go to Egypt, but was it? No. No, I don't think he would have had that same experience in Egypt. Let's read another story. We'll go through a couple together. Let's go to our scripture reading in Luke chapter 5. This is the story of Jesus. He's preaching. Luke chapter 5. Isaac, in his story, he became so wealthy that the people of that region actually asked him to leave. They said, just go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. I forgot to finish that story. <clears throat> you can, it's a wonderful story. And it illustrates and demonstrates God's provision and his ability to do things against all odds. Luke chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Let's pause right there. What is Peter by profession? He's a fisherman. 
He's the son of a fisherman. He's the grandson of the fisherman. He's a great-grandson of a fisherman. He didn't go to the local college or university to learn how to become a fisherman. He's living in a day and an era in which your trade is just handed down to you, and that's what you do. He's living with who knows how many years of acquired, accrued knowledge in his brain. Okay? He knows how to fish. He knows when to fish. He knows where to fish. He knows what time of the year they're going to be in certain areas. He knows everything there is to know about fishing. What is Jesus by profession? He's a carpenter. So he's coming from a totally different field. And, you know, as somebody, if you've worked in trades or if you've worked in any, in any field, in any capacity... You know, nursing, doctor, whatever, and somebody comes to tell you that is from a totally outside their realm, it's like, you know, you should do it this way. How do you feel as a human being? It's like, really? You're really going to try to guide me in this? Jesus, sorry, Peter somewhat reminds Jesus of this when he says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing in verse 5. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. Re- Nevertheless, I will humor you. Okay, I've already fished all night. Jesus is telling him to do something that is totally opposite of what he knows to do. Okay, they would fish at night because they're throwing out hand throwing out a net with weights on the outside that sink, and so the fish, if it's during the daylight hours, the fish can see the net descending and they can they can swim out. They aren't going to have as good of a catch, right? But if they fish at night, most fish cannot see at night. There are some fish that feed at night, but most of them cannot. And so as they throw out the net, the net is descending on them. They don't know what's going on. And as they cinch it up, they're caught in the net and they pull them in, right? He doesn't have a... He's, he's, they, they're living in a totally different era. He doesn't have a 250 horsepower mercury that he's dragging nets around the lake. He's relying upon the night he's throwing a net by hand. So Jesus tells him to do something that he knows is a fool's errand. He knows it's not going to work. It goes against his human logic. It doesn't make any sense. But he says, I will humor you and I will let down the net. Verse 6. And when they aligned themselves with the will of God, when they did what God asked them to do, when they had done this, the Bible says, they caught a great number of fish. And their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. This sounds very much like Isaac's experience. Do something. God, you're asking me to do something that is totally against my human logic. Try to plant seeds in dry, crusted, barren ground. And he reaps a hundredfold. This sounds very much like Isaac's experience where he's doing something that God asked him to do, even though it makes no sense in his human mind, and look what happens. Both boats begin to sink. Both boats are full of fish. And when Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus, Peter recognized in Jesus, this is nothing short of a divine miracle. This is not natural. This does not happen. He goes on. It goes on in verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. 
they knew that this was nothing short of divine. This was Jesus. This was, this was a miracle. Unlike anything they had ever seen. And it totally contradicted their human logic. They brought in so many fish that their nets were breaking and the boat was sinking. Peter was obedient to the call of God, to the call, the words of Jesus, even though in his human mind it did not make sense to do so. Jesus doesn't ask us to do things for us to fail. Jesus doesn't ask us to do things to make a mockery out of us. He doesn't call us to failure. He doesn't call us to, to fall down and get hurt. God asks us to do things because He wants to work miracles in our lives in ways that we could not foresee. I want to... Put in, I've got one more quick story to tell, but it needs to be said, it needs to be included in this sermon. Um, but first I want to throw in this, this kind of caveat, or if you will, or, or that's not the right word that I'm looking for. We need to know and understand that the call is coming from God. There's a lot of voices out there vying for our attention. And I'll give you a couple of examples. A few years ago, a pastor friend of mine had a couple coming to his prayer meeting. And they were, they were glorifying God because of the miracles, because of the, the whatever blessings they were experiencing in their relationship. And they were, you know, praising God or they were giving God glory for, at this prayer meeting, for what he was doing in their lives. However, this relationship was an adulterous relationship. And so they had all these wonderful, glorious feelings of whatever, I don't know. And they believed the Holy Spirit had brought them together. I'm going to tell you here today, here and now, the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to do something that is, that it will con- that is contradictory to the Word of God that He's already written that he's already inspired someone else to write. We're told that the Bible was written by holy men of God who spoke or who wrote as the Holy Spirit inspired them to do. Jesus isn't going to ask you to do something that is contradictory to the written word that already exists. So these people praising the Lord for the Holy Spirit bringing them together... is already out of harmony with what God already has said. <clears throat> so we have to be careful and we have to test the Spirit, the Bible says, as to whether or not it's from God. And if you feel so inclined to do something or whatever that is contradictory to the written word, you can know that it is not the Spirit of God that is leading you. I have another uh, uh, experience in my own life where my family, we, we, we were praying, Lord, lead us into all truth, guide us into the truth. And we came to the seventh, we came, we're studying the Bible on our own, and we come to the seventh day, we came to the seventh day Sabbath in the Bible, 
And we're, we were so elated that the Lord gave us, showed us this truth. It was a great blessing to our lives. And as we we're growing and we're learning lots of more things, and eventually, you know, three or four years later, I think it was about three years later, I was baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Didn't even know about the Seventh-day Adventist church at the time. But we believed the Sabbath truth. We're reading in the Bible and we're like, boy, I don't really see where God ever changed the Sabbath. I don't see where this, how this ever happened. And so the Holy Spirit was leading us. And I don't know, I got baptized three or four years later. And about a year after that, the same, the same people who were, who were with me in this journey, all of a sudden they're saying things like, you know, the Holy Spirit is leading me or convicting me that, you know, and I believe the first day of the week is the Christian Sabbath. And I believe that, you know, at some point in time, the Holy Spirit led them to this backward, to, the, to wherever we came from. The Bible is the Bible. It is what it is. And so as, we were, as we're going through this together, um, I had to stand on what I knew to be true. And um, so I'll just, I'll just sum up this, sum up this little segment with whatever the Spirit of God is asking you to do has to line up with the Word that is already existing. God doesn't like build a foundation, tear it down, and then keep starting over. He builds on the foundation from the established Word that is already written. So the Holy Spirit is not going to contradict Himself what He inspired someone else to put in the Bible for us as a pillar of truth, whether it's adultery or the Sabbath or whatever else it may be. Let's go to one more text. Let's go to John. John chapter 6. Our last text, John chapter 6. Let's begin reading in verse 4. The Bible says, When the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Verse 6, But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Jesus asks us to do things to test us. It tests our faith. It tests whether or not we actually trust Him or not. But the best part is, He already has a plan in place. He already knows what He's going to do, the Bible says. We don't have to worry about the outcome. We're not responsible for the outcome. We are, we are, we, our responsibility is to be in harmony with whatever the Word of God says, whatever Christ is asking us to do. He is the one who has the power to fulfill whatever that thing is because His Word has creative power within it. And so He says, where shall we buy bread? Verse 6, this He said to test Him. For He Himself, He already has a plan in place, the Bible says. Verse 7, Philip answered with a very logical answer. Made a lot of sense. He says, Lord, a year's wages wouldn't feed... A year's wages would be enough to give these people just a little bit, right? 
And Jesus goes on, and then one of his disciples, Andrew, he says, here's the boy who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Okay. <clears throat> From this text, we learn that Jesus asks us to do things to test us. He already has a plan of what he's going to do. We don't have to worry about feeling silly, looking silly, whatever, losing our job because of Sabbath observance or whatever. God already has a plan. He knows what he's going to do. We're not responsible for the outcome. We don't, he knows what he's going to do. We don't need to be afraid to be obedient. Out of this text, out of this story, we witness one of Jesus' greatest miracles as far as magnitude in Scripture. I personally think that reversing death is, is, is kind of bigger. But as far as like impacting the most amount of people, 5,000 men, theologians estimate that there was probably 15, sorry, because of women and children, including women and children, Jesus probably fed about fifteen to 20,000 people that day. He took what meager means they had, and he did a great thing with it. So their role was just to be in harmony with God's will. That was, that was Isaac's role, was just to be obedient to what God was asking him to do. Peter's role was just, okay, I'll do this, and we just get on the bandwagon. We're not doing anything, working our way or any, any such thing. We just have to get in harmony with what God is asking us to do. We are not responsible for the outcome. God will take care of that. That's on Him. It makes your life a whole lot less stressful when you're just like, the Lord, Lord you're going to have to take care of this. I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything. What am I going to do? I'm a human being. Lord, you're going to have to take care of this problem. All right. I am out of time, but I have to, wrap, I have to do this. <clears throat> he already knows what he's going to do. You can expect, if we expect great things from God and depend on him, miracles will happen. Do you remember my story earlier about the coal porter work? Story of my own life. Well, I fought with God about this call for two years because I couldn't make sense of it in my own logic. I couldn't put it together. I couldn't figure out how it worked. There were no full-time coal porters in Michigan at the time. And there may be now, but there wasn't at that time. And so I fought with God. And at the end of 2016, a year later, about the fall of 2016, in September, I almost, I almost took the leap. I was so close. And then, you know, circumstances, things happened. The devil distracted me, and I didn't do it. And so I was rejecting God. I was rejecting the call of God in my life. So what happens when you reject God, you don't have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You revert back to what you were before you accepted Christ. And so I became, it was a very dark time in my life. You do, when you reject God, when you reject the Holy Spirit, you don't have love, you don't have joy, you don't have peace, you don't have patience. You don't have kindness. You don't have goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You don't have those things. And so I became very unbearable to live with. I became a different person. I was rejecting God. I felt very lost. You know, I had been lost before, but I didn't know I was lost. And so, but at this point, I had experienced the goodness of God. I had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. I had felt His presence in my life. 
And I, had been, and I felt as though I had been led by God to that point. But when I rejected him, it, let, it left such a vacuum. I don't know how to describe the darkness that I felt. It was overwhelming to me. And so I became unbearable to live with. My wife was praying like, Lord, you're going to have to do something with this guy because I can't live with him anymore. And so I don't know how God speaks to us, but early in the morning on January, it was January 7th of 2017, I woke up because we heated our house with wood and it must have been particularly cold because I had set an alarm for myself. I've got to restoke this furnace in the middle of the night. So I set an alarm for 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I don't know what happened. I don't know how God speaks. It was as though scales or something fell from my eyes, and all of a sudden I just had this clear vision of how I could survive, how I could make it as a literature evangelist. And that was great, but to, for me to experience God's presence again, I told my wife repeatedly during that four-month time period, like, I'm lost. I'm, just, I'm no different than Hazen Foss. I feel lost. But to experience God's presence again in that moment and to have a clear vision of what I was going to do and what God was calling me to do. I was so excited. I filled the stove and I went back to bed and I wanted to wake her up and tell her the wonderful news that I'm taking the plunge this time. I have to. God has given me a vision of how we can make this work. But I didn't wake her up because I didn't think she would appreciate it at the time. And so I essentially just laid in bed until morning, until I could tell her, because it was a Sabbath morning. And so we made a plan. We would wait till we get our tax return. So we had a little cushion, and I would start. And at the end of February in Michigan, 2017, I, I started working. I started going door to door. And... At the end of the first month, we looked at the bank account and we had money left over. That, had, that didn't happen before. Like we had, a, we had a steady job, but it was like right there. We just barely got through. And I was doing all that I could on the side to raise extra money. But all of a sudden, working, being in harmony with God and what God asked me to do, all of a sudden we had money left over at the end of the month. It was like, oh, wow, that's new. That's interesting. And the whole dynamic over the next several months, that kept building. There was money coming from places that I never could have imagined. Churches wanting to support me. Conference support. There was stuff coming from a hundred different directions. And I was just overwhelmed by the blessing of God. I didn't get, it wasn't a hundredfold. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a million dollars that was in the bank. But we survived and the whole atmosphere of our home changed with Jesus in the family, happy, happy home. It's much better with Jesus in your family. And anyway, God was preparing me for the next step in my life. I would learn trust and obedience over those four or five. That was like a semester of, of call portering for me. And then I would, God was preparing me because he was going to call me into full-time pastoral ministry and I was going to have to uproot my family and move to Collegedale, Tennessee, which I never would have done prior, okay? So this was all preparatory work. And uh, at that time, I had learned obedience. But I still told the Lord, that's a bad idea too. Like, do you remember who I was in high school? I graduated with a 2.3 GPA from high school. And long story short, because it was God's plan, 
And God is the one who told me to go to college, go back, go to Southern Adventist University. I graduated with an honors GPA. And I was voted by the faculty in the School of Religion as the most outstanding ministerial candidate of my class. That's God. That's not me. I never would have done that. So I will never take credit for that. That was God's inspiration. Success in the Cole Porter work. Success at school. All God. I, I can say with Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am today. It's not because of anything that I've done. I will very happily give the glory to God because I can't take credit for anything. I'm going to wrap up uh, here today that's struggling with, uh, maybe it's a biblical doctrine. You're struggling. Maybe it's Sabbath. Lots of people struggle with Sabbath because they might have to lose their job. And it's, you feel like you're going to have to sacrifice your job for Christ. We don't sacrifice anything for God. Because whatever plan he has for us on the other side is so much better than what we had before. We don't actually sacrifice anything. We may give things up, but our life is better for it. So maybe there's somebody here struggling with some biblical, maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you're struggling. I gave this sermon several years ago, and there was a lady who came to it, and she had been struggling for months. Lord, I want to homeschool my kids, but I don't see how it's going to work. I want to pull them out of public school. I can't figure out how it's going to work. She, she heard this sermon. She was so blessed by it, and she took the plunge as a result. Maybe you're struggling with something like some life decision. I don't know how this is going to work, Lord. I need your guidance in my life. Help me. Maybe you're struggling with something like that. Or maybe, maybe you're struggling with a call to ministry. I'm just making a very broad call because I don't have time. But if you're struggling with something in your life, you want God's direction. You, you, you need direction. You're looking for it. Whether it's, it's a biblical topic, whether it's not, whether it's a life calling or a life direction, I just want to extend the call and have a special prayer for you. If that's you, I invite you to stand with me so I can pray for you, and then we will we'll close with our closing hymn. Is there anyone here today? Okay, God bless you guys. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear God, you see our hearts. You know each person here. You know their lives. You know what they're struggling with. Lord, I am asking that you would manifest yourself to them in a mighty way. That you would make your will abundantly clear, whatever that is. And help us, help them, whatever they may be going through, to trust you. No matter what it is. Help us to learn how to depend on you more fully. Because your ways are so much higher than our ways. Please bless them with your spirit. Guide us. Lord, we want to do your will. We want to reflect your character. We want to be in harmony with you. Please, Lord, I pray that you would move, that you would bless these people with your presence. Help us to be more like you. Help us to be in harmony with you. Lord, this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open our hymnals to hymn number 573. Please stand with me as we sing our closing hymn, hymn number 573.